Welcome to Only God Rescued Me, my journey from satanic ritual abuse. My name is Lisa Meister. I'm your podcast host. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you Kimberly Cohen. She is an SRA survivor extraordinaire. She was adopted into a family where she was abused by her stepfather. She was able to get out, but not after severe bouts of cutting and suicide and not really knowing why she was doing that until... The repression broke and all the flashbacks started coming back. And it, when she, the professionals didn't know how to help. So they helped by drugging or tying her down or putting her in a padded cell, as you can imagine, the absolute worst things that you can do for a survivor. So she had to survive that as well. And she has become a victor getting through all that. And now she's an advocate changing the way that the professionals view the survivors and how to help them through flashbacks with dignity and with compassion and with things that really can help them instead of hurting them worse. This is a great person to listen to. I highly admire her and I, I thank Kimberly for coming on and joining us today. And I want to also thank all my listeners. You are so good and, and you're here each time and I really appreciate you caring and for those that have put money to buy me a coffee campaign, to buy me a computer, I appreciate that. I'm getting closer. And if you would like to help me out, you go to buymeacoffee.onlygod.com. And I hope that you really enjoy today's broadcast. Thank you. Hello, welcome to Only God Rescued Me. Today, I have Kimberly Cohn with us, and I'm very excited. She is an SRA victor. Thank you, Brian. And she is coming to us through her experience that she is using to start a nonprofit. So the things that were not available to her as she was healing, she is determined to make available to survivors as they are healing. She has a lot of really important things to say, and I know you'll enjoy hearing her. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming, and your cat, who is very gorgeous. Oh. <laughs> Saw her on screen, I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> I love it. I won't get distracted. <laughs> I will, but I'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> She'll bring a lot of love in. So tell me about your past. Okay, so I am here as, as a victor. I do love that. I've written it down. I really want to start incorporating that. Um, and just, you know, like where I am right now, I'm, I'm an advocate. I've worked as a case manager. I am the founder of this nonprofit, the Healing Center for Complex Trauma. And so my, my life's work is this and bringing hope and healing to survivors as well as resources and support to providers and, and the support system. And, you know, you use the word, I think you used healed. I don't know. I'm still healing. It is a freaking long process, but uh, you stand where you are. So I have this much strength. So I stand in this space, but, um, you know, a lot of the work in, things that people can relate more to with my, my history is the use of the word trafficking, you know, like human trafficking. And I was adopted at birth, um, i.e. trafficked into a family where the whole intent and purpose was to destroy me, break me down mentally, kind of create a, a drone, someone that 
they could control and manipulate. And I was ritually abused, um, satanic ritual abuse and tortured for almost 21 years. And my mom was not aware of that extreme abuse. She was dealing with her own domestic violence and issues. And so we were all like brutalized every single day by my adopted father. I just call him Orville. Um, And so she didn't see a lot of the deeper stuff. Um, So she was not the source of that, but Orville and his family and their friends and their colleagues and they, you know, that, that was the source, but it was pervasive. It was, it was nearly every day. There were periods of time I lived in Wyoming. So some of the abuse was spread out a little bit by maybe a few months, but, um, you know, while I lived with Orville and it was, it was bad. It was daily, um, brutalization and then, you know, extended trauma and torture, you know, over different holidays and seasons and weekends as people know what that entails. So it was pretty horrific. And then, um, of course I had maladaptive, um, things like an eating disorder that it was very, very awful cutting and flashbacks and, um, just, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I knew something was wrong with me, but I didn't know anything was wrong. What was wrong with me, you know, with my behavior and my outbursts and my running and my extreme, you know, just kind of brutalization of myself. And when I was 19, I tried to suicide again. And I ended up in the hospital because the the dam of memories had just broken loose. And I started remembering, um, the SRA, um, types of trauma. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't not see the everyday, you know, like beatings and things like that, but the sexual abuse and, and the other torture I had suppressed. And we can talk about that because, you know, it's, I think that's a miracle God gave me because it did help me survive. But at some point I couldn't contain, it. I couldn't hold it back anymore. And I just started remembering. And then, um, I tried to suicide and, and then it was another couple of years. Cause I didn't understand, you know, dissociation. I didn't understand the idea. I didn't understand the control and the, the hold that abusers have. And so it took me a couple more years to get out, but, um, you know, I moved, changed my name, tried tried to go low and underground. So no one would find me, but this has been a long haul of remembering and finding my voice, finding my power and holding on with, you know, fingernails to that power. And, but here I am and, you know, I'm a witness of the atrocities, but I'm also a witness of the resiliency of spirit and, and hope. I hope, you know, the whole thing, I'm hoping to do something with all of it. And, you know, just. That's amazing because it's so easy being a survivor to just fall apart and not be able to get up and get going ever again. And that would be completely understandable. Right. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, like it took me, I think, 20 years before I could really get moving and really be able to talk about it without falling apart. So are survivors broken? You know what? Survivors are, you know, I probably use the word I'm broken a lot. However, that's in relation to what we perceive as normal or not. I think if you ask any person, like we discussed, that everyone has brokenness. Um, Brendan Manning, he treats brokenness so gently. You know, he says, you know, in an attempt to like hide our scars and wounds from people, you know, we, and, and that brokenness, we, we can't bring it into the light. We can't let the love of others basically heal us or our wounds and scars help heal others. So, you know, I, I think the answer people might want is no, we're not broken, but you know, we all are, but there are ways that we broke under the strain of torture and trauma that I feel like God, he would never, ever, 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 ever condone trauma ever or the mistreatment of his children ever but he gave us this capacity in our minds to split to break to go over there while what is happening here is so horrific and anyone would just crumble under that pressure so I I feel like it's brilliant when I can see it as brilliant and not heartbreaking (laughs) you know that we we've been able to access a part of our brains that most people don't ever, ever go to. And not only have we accessed it, but we've mastered it in so many ways. You know, we found ways to um, cope and survive where other people would not be able to. So it's like a yes and no it's there's this beauty, beauty and breaking. I'm sure you've heard of Kintsugi. Um, So it's a Japanese, art where a pot or some kind of cup or, or bowl, if it is broken, they don't throw it away. They they put it back together with precious metals. And not only is it more beautiful after the kind of putting back together, it's more valuable, you know, because of the process and, and it takes time and it takes love and, and no, it isn't what it once was. It is something new, but it's beautiful and stunning and and holds a space that it couldn't be for. So it's complicated. There isn't like a solid answer of, you know, this is exactly, we don't want to, we don't want to be broken in these ways. You know, it is an atrocity. It is, it is against God and against our, our spirits to have been tortured and mistreated in this way. But the, the light in us, the God that is in us, Christ in us has, has helped hold those pieces together in such beautiful ways that we don't always attribute it to beauty, but it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Well, I, you know, I see you talking about this as beautiful in that God has helped you to get through those difficult years and, and the way that he's bringing healing to you and, you know, being the advocate now that you are, you wouldn't be there. You know, you wouldn't be able to impact this world like you can being a survivor. And that's beautiful. There's, I had an experience one time and 
it, it really changed my life and the way I look at my scars. Cause I am literally covered in scars, all of me. And I was at an event where people learned my story. It was a, it was a big deal. And I was on the screen and I didn't realize everyone had seen my arms, but the um, camera had zoomed in and, um, and I was in crisis. It was, you know, it was a hard situation it ended well, it was okay. But, um, the following day, a woman walked by that was crying and I'm definitely a get in your business kind of person. I tried to make eye contact and she avoided me. So I'm like, okay. And then just within a few seconds, she came back and just stood there sobbing. So I got up, put my arms around her, my friend and I, we talked to her and, and, you know, tried to get her support. And then I saw her again the next day, which I did not expect because there are so many people there. It was just one of those things God had to will that, you know, and she, she said, you know, I, I saw you, but I didn't recognize you. And so I walked by, but then I saw your arms and I knew who you were and I knew I could talk to you. So I came back and wow. that changed my life. It wasn't like in spite of my scars, maybe I'll find something I can do. And then, you know, it just, it was like, oh my gosh, this kind of gives me my, my license to be in this space of, of, you know, sadness, of vulnerability, of, you know, opportunities to, to heal. And, and so she invited me in and I'm not kidding. It, I, I tell that story a lot because it impacted me so much. And then to bring that back to Christ, I was telling that to my friend and she said, huh, you know, isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he came back, he kept his scars, you know, so we would know that we can talk to him. You know, yeah. it's like he could have come back anyway, you know, to show this is what the, you know, resurrection is about. And of course it is, but he kept that. So we would know that we can go to him. So, you know, it's all interconnected and it's an honor. You know, I don't look at my scars in horror anymore. I look at them as, you know, these are kind of my, these are my credentials in some ways, you know, to be here and it's hard, you know, you don't ever want to be in that space as far as the journey, but it's an, also an honor and something I would not trade for anything at this point. Well, there's so many people in the world that are hurt and when they know that you're hurt too, then you're safe because you're not the abuser. Right. Right. Seeing your scars attest to that, which I love. Yeah. It's, power, it's really powerful. I, I feel like if we can look at ourselves and the things that not only were done to us, but that we've had to do, you know, in this type of trauma, we were forced to do things against our natures, against God that, you know, were meant to entrap us and change our ideas of who we are. And they have in many ways, you know, I spent many years fully believing I was evil and dark and not ever feeling like I made a choice, but in a situation you have to make a choice, you know, it's like your, your hand is, is forced and 
um, realizing that that anguish of spirit was because the light in me was, was pushed up against this darkness that didn't belong in here. That was foreign, you know, like, I feel like our struggle and that fight inside, you know, and is just testament that we are so innately good. And if we weren't, we wouldn't be affected. We wouldn't be, you know, have abhorrence to the things that have happened. And so I feel like if we can regard ourselves, you know, Brendan Manning, and I did write it down. Um, he says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And, you know, the identities that were tried, that people tried to force on us. Um, and I, maybe I'm alone in that, but I don't feel like I am, you know, that we were someone else or something else that this was our path. This is who we are. That was a forced illusion but the identity that we have inside of us is as children of God, you know, as Christ is in us. And so I've had experiences with some of my parts because I do have DID. I think most or several or to most do um, who are probably listening if they are victors, Um, you know, like, they've not wanted to come into the light to share their story, the things that they've had to do because they're so, so dark and so vile. And I've, I've just had moments where I've just talked to them and I'm like, you don't understand by you doing this and trying to save me from this by holding the memory, staying over there with it. You're innately good. Your intentions are good. So it's like, you, you can't undo that truth. And so the more I, reg- I regard my parts with kindness and love um, and receive their experiences as horrific as they are in kindness and love, the more healing happens. And I don't know, it's, it's beautiful and, and honest. It has to, you know, it is honest. You can't, you're great. It's like, yeah, they can see through that. So. Yeah. Well, and I think it's an important piece for people who are not victors of SRA to understand dissociation is those little pieces of us that break off to hold that, to do that in that piece, that ritual or, you know, that theme in a ritual and they handle that. And then, yeah, we got to go and communicate with them and talk to them and bring, you know, bring Jesus to them. Yeah. Bring the light. And, you know, especially in the world of Christianity where um, at least for me, a lot of things were done in the name of God or to pervert that, that light, that being. And so I've had moments where if people talked of God to me, it was a trigger. It was painful. Um, I have scars on me from someone telling me God loves you. It's like, because in that moment, that was a big trigger to some pain and suffering. So sometimes we, you know, especially for people who are listening, who are maybe supporters, sometimes you you can't use those words and it's not a bad thing, but you can show love. You can show that light. One of my favorite quotes 
is at all times preach the gospel and when necessary use words. You know, it's like we we can minister without word and scripture. And when they can receive or when we can receive word and scripture, bring it. You know, the scriptures are full of, of those promises and that hope. But it's like we kind of have to gauge where someone is and what they can receive. But at, at no point can they not receive light and love in some form. So we just have to be creative with our delivery. And be watchful. See how they respond. Yeah. You know, pull back from those places and, you know, go in a different direction, I think is important. And understanding too, with worshiping God, you're just, it's you and God and, you know, it's love going back and forth. But when the rituals where they are worshiping Satan, because it's satanic ritual abuse, they do it through blaspheming God. So they bring in those Christian elements, which then become confusing to the victors because sometimes they don't see the difference. And then the elements themselves are very tricky, like communion, you know, horrific thing for victors to have to go to church and have communion. It just is, you know, and until you understand why, right. You're like, well, why won't you have communion? You know, what's the matter with you? Yeah. Especially when you are, um, when your trauma starts at that developmental you know, age when you're a tiny child. So all of the input coming into you is forming your map of the world, of yourself, of who other people are. Are you safe? Are you worthy? All these things. If, if all that input that's coming in and maybe not all like my, you know, I have my mom, my grandma and my aunt, I have three people that I can attribute to me having any sense of just anything in me that didn't get squashed, but, um, you know, the, the map. And so that is all things sacred, all things that are helpful and hopeful, you know, they purposely destroy them. So you have nothing. So there's nowhere for you to turn ever. The last thing they want is for you to have a faith and faith and relationship with Jesus Christ and, you know, God. And so they do everything they can to pervert that. And, um, part of that is to just literally destroy you as a person and as a being, but also to hide their secrets, you know, to keep those and to, you know, not ever, ever give you that space to put your feet down, to grasp hold of something bigger and better. And certainly not to recognize who you are, the I am, the Jesus, the God in you. If, once you get hold of that, you're unstoppable and they do everything they can to hold it back. But man, once you have it, it's like, okay, look out. It's over. You're done. <laughs> and, and that's where the real healing is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing that really breaks my heart for non-Christian survivors. If, you know, they used God in the rituals to try to break us. And it takes, you know, the enemy is always trying to take away our identity or to chop our identity into pieces where God's the only one that can go in and take those pieces and put us back together. I I firmly believe he does and will, even if someone is not Christian, you know, if they're not affiliated with a faith, um, because we're all his children. There's no hierarchy. There's no us and them. It's a, it's a, we, and 
And so again, like I've worked with enough people that they cannot associate with Christians, you know, cause right. it's associated with too much pain, but we can still offer that love and healing through their language, you know, like through the universe or, you know, and it's, it's not um, at all disregarding Christ and, and that power it, it's bringing it to them in a way that they can relate to and, and still offering that healing and hope. And, and so yeah, one of my favorite pastors is Levi Lesko. And he talks about, you know, kind of changing your language, I guess, um, based on who you're talking to, you know, you would talk with the theologian a lot differently than you would with a skateboarder. You know, it's like, you just adapt the same truth, the same love and message to the language that they can understand, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good. So. You talked earlier, cause we talked before we started about being in, um, places trying to get help early on and you really just didn't get it. Can you go into some of that? Oh my gosh. Yes. I swear it's, oh, um, well for a long time, again, I did not understand that I had such pervasive, deep rooted trauma. Um, I was that girl that had, a almost four Oh, I was a cheerleader. I was on the swim team. I was happy. I was all these things and then abused every single night. You know, my, um, my DID was pretty solid. It was really good. Um, but you know, I'd be so freaking tired and I wouldn't know what was wrong with me, you know, or, you know, how to explain what these marks were. And, um, so starting even in high school, I was having flashbacks and I didn't know what they were. We thought they were seizures, you know, if, you know, those relives or ab reactions or whatever you want to call it. And so even starting it at that point, no one recognized trauma. They, and so of course I'm having these issues at school. So who do they call my abuser to get me from school? Then I am now home rather than in a safe place, which is school, which wasn't safe most of the time because I was so bullied up until my like last two years of school. It was awful. Childhood was terrible. It was so hard. Um, and, and then I'd just be in trouble for causing trouble at school. So I'd, I'd go home to abuse from reliving abuse. And so, you know, even starting at that elementary space where it would have been really great for someone to recognize there's something going on here, behaviors, eating disorder, flashbacks, she's, you know, erratic, takes off running, starts, you know, falls asleep, standing up, just, you know, so, and I, I have been working with um, some different nonprofits to help educate, you know, the um, education system and, you know, and police officers and things like that to to just see this as more than, you know, some behavior. But then when I started remembering and I overdosed and, you know, I was put in the psych ward and, you know, it really was about trying to manage the, the symptoms, which I was at that point because everything had just gone insanely just bad inside of me. I mean, I, I cracked, I can't explain 
how bad it was, but it was bad. It's like every memory just started just pushing its way. And I had no coping skills. I had no power at that time. And, and so I was restrained, um, so many times because of flashbacks, I was put in seclusion, um, in like Pete urine smelling stained small rooms that probably were worse than they would have in jail because of flashbacks or, um, and I honestly don't know the rationale protect me from myself. I don't know, but it, it was so traumatizing. No one was really understanding what was going on. I, and I it's felt the like, worst thing you can do for a survivor of SRA yeah. to restrain them, to put them in yeah. a little room. It's like cage sort of thing. Yeah. Or medicate, you know, like yeah. suddenly like conked out my power is gone. I, you know, cause of course all of those things were used you know, medication and drugs to distort memory or forget or, you know, whatever. And, and so I found that the abuse was being just perpetuated and just compounded in, and a lot of the healing environments that I was seeking or not seeking being blue sheeted because you overdose and stuff like that. But, um, it, and then I found a couple of therapists that, one was very green and, but they, they ended up abusing me in, in Uh many ways. And, and so the idea that there was safety or that there was anyone that would be able to see me as myself, you know, cause there's healing from this takes a long time. And I mean, we're talking a lifetime. It doesn't mean that there isn't progressive healing, you know, and you can look back and say, Oh, look how far I've come, but triggers don't just go away. You know, we, again, that map of the world, Bessel van der Kolk talks about it. It doesn't ever go away. We can bring new input. We can bring new information, new experiences and add it to the map, but the map doesn't go. So those triggers, they're there and we can learn to override. We can learn that we're safe. We can learn to, you know, work with our nervous system and and calm it down and be aware, all that, but it doesn't go away. Um, And so I had such bad experiences with therapists. And then at some point they'd be so frustrated with me and just like, well, you just don't want to get well. You, what are you getting from this? And I'd hear that in the hospitals, like, what are you getting from all of this? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I getting from this? A lot of scars, you know, no dignity at all. You know, a lot of people abandoning me. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure how I'm winning here and just people just judging your character because you're struggling because this horrific thing has caused such, you know, a massive reaction that is ongoing. And then when you're multiple and I didn't recognize that for years into healing, you know, what, what that was or how bad it was, um, you know, it's those parts just pop in or they don't, and they hold things that, you know, maybe you're not aware of. And it it was not understood. Even people that said they did, didn't. And I'm, so one of the things that I do that I am so grateful to be in a space to do it is, is to help educate, you know, this is, 
This is trauma. This is the impact of trauma on the brain and, and specifically complex trauma. Um, I, I was buying all of the lies and all of the things that therapists were saying to me or hospital personnel, you know, that I was bad, you know, it just reinforced all of those things reinforce every message we have. And then I read the body keeps the score, which I really recommend if you're a, you know, a victor, if you're a survivor, maybe, you know, go easy. It is a hard read, you know, if you're vulnerable, but it was the first time in my life that I was able to understand that, yeah, I actually have brain damage. Something impacted my brain. It's not my personality. It's not my will. It's not me being a brat. It's not me, you know, whatever people would say about me that I'm like, this is literally something you can look at on a brain scan and see the brain go offline when you're triggered and, and see why you're reacting in this way, because your primitive brain is now in charge. It's overridden any part of the thinking mind. And so I, I do a lot of, of educating and supporting, you know, with that information. And it's like, as a survivor, as a victor, I can say, this is how it shows up. And as I've also been a provider, I can say, this is what you might see, you know? So it's, I kind of have these two vantage points and then what is helpful, you know, and all, there aren't perfect answers. Of course, there are scenarios you can't, you know, think about or, or anticipate, but, you know, the more we know, and the more we see someone as a person, um, father, Greg Boyle from homeboy industries. Oh, I just love him so much. He, um, he talks about instead of raising the bar for people to measure up, you know, he talks about holding the mirror up to them. So they return to themselves, which is that one beloved by Christ. And, you know, it's like, if we see that core of who they are and not just this behavior and, you know, like I, I have not gone down the road of addiction, but there, but by the grace of God go, I, you know, I've done a lot of other things that are, really scary and awful. And, you know, my, my friends still see me. Um, and that's shocking, you know, and I've had people not see me, but I'm in an environment now where they see me and because they see me and they tell me who they see, I, I want to believe it. And so I'll start acting and playing with the idea, you know, that there's light in me at one point you, if you told me there was light in me, I would have gotten overdosed. I mean, or cut like, that's where I was. I'm like, you don't know. I have fooled you. I am evil. And I would go and destroy myself. And then, and then I have friends that, well, I'm going to keep saying it till you believe it. And I'm like, it literally hurts. I like, I can't hear that. And then I wanted to believe it. And then I started living in it and I'm, I'm like, it's true for all of us, but it does take time. Yeah, it's, I think we're understanding trauma more. Um, we are having the discussions. I recently was in the hospital and they were so backwards. I couldn't even believe it. They just had no idea how to interact with me with my flashbacks. And I'm like, who has not read The Body Keeps the Score? Are you kidding me? So it's obviously there's so much work that needs to be done. But I feel like if we are aware of our egos as providers, if their response to us 
and what we bring isn't about us and whether we're really good at what we do, but it's about their level of pain and their ability to respond and align. You know, it's, if, if we realize we, we're literally working with, with each other, we're co-creating this journey. Um, you know, it's the, just the respect, the awe. Um, again, Father Greg Boyle, he, he works with um, ex-gang members. You know, so of course there's profound trauma and, and histories of doing things that, you know, they might not do if they had not been traumatized, but um, he, oh, I lost my train of thought because of you, kitty. Um, Father Boyle talking to ex-gang members. Um, oh, I've lost it. It'll come back. That's fine. I, I think I went off really long with your question and I apologize. I just know that's so fine. many things that go into anything. Right. No, you're doing a great job. Um, a lot of people think that people that talk about trauma are bringing up the past when they should just be living in the present, you know, um, forget, just go on with now, now you're fine. So just don't think about it. So how do you respond to that? I respond to it like this. Like when I am training and having a discussion, that is not nice. Stop it. Kat. Um, so I, I bring up, most everyone has been in an auto accident or has had their heart broken or something. And without even thinking about it, or maybe with thinking about it, maybe when you're driving, you don't go to that intersection anymore or for a really long time. Or maybe you find you're there and you didn't anticipate it. And suddenly you're like, you, you remember like what happened. It's, it's, that's something I think most people can relate to with, you know, maybe a mild or an extreme trauma, depending on how bad it was. It's something you don't will. It's something that just comes. And there, there's something to bringing the truth into the light and being seen and heard and loved when these things were so secret and they're so shameful and horrific. And when you're met with people don't even believe it's real, let alone, why are you still bothered by this? You know, that's, that's a hard place to be. And so, um, it is, you know, if someone has lost a child in five years, do they not mourn that loss? You know, if, if someone has had a life event that would take a lot of people out, do they just forget? You know, they don't. And of course we're moving on, we're living, we're doing these things, but it is part of, gosh, I, I wish it weren't as much part of my life. You know, sure. I navigate my entire day based on, you know, like, how am I doing? I mean, I make my solid plans, but I get hijacked, you know, often, but it's like, I need to avoid triggers. I need to, in order for me to stay in power, I have to do these things, listen to my Christian music, read my scripture, talk to my friends, do these empowering things like this. You know, this is meaningful to me. This is part of my coping. And, um, but I can't do it if I'm 
you know, bombarded by triggers. And, and it, again, it's so pervasive, especially if it happened in childhood where that map, where our orientation towards the whole entirety of our world, people, life, where we live, what we eat is, is created. We, we just can't filter it out. We are amazing and we navigate, but telling us to be quiet and to not speak that because other people are uncomfortable, you know, or they're making judgment based on their own experience with overcoming or whatever. It's, it's not right. It's not fair. It's not, it's not honest. You know, people should be able to speak their truth. And that's something that we have fought for to have a voice. Survivors, victors, I'm still working on changing that vernacular, go into dark places, you know, periodically. So I was in one last week, just had a pretty bad PTSD meltdown, and it took me days to recover. What advice do you have to help people through those times and how to come back out of that? Oh my gosh, I spent a lot of time there still. I mean, I'm like in such a place of advocacy and, you know, strength. And then it, so just that experience of being there is, is so frightening. And of course you're back there. You are in real time. It feels in the experience. And then for me, you know, like I do struggle with being suicidal and I have a lot of fight in me and I'll fight, fight, fight. But every once in a while when it hits, I kind of, I want it to be so bad that it takes me like, this is the one I'm out. I'm done with this suffering. I'm done with this struggle. So it's like, I have a mixed relationship with it sometimes, not always. That's, that's rare. But every once in a while when I'm like, I can't, I can't, I really can't. God, I am telling you, I can't like tap out. I'm done, done, done. It's like, I kind of want to cross over and just be done. But I've, I do have angels and people, which this getting back to how do you get out the community and kinship and people who speak truth and love and light who bring that to us are so important. And I'm blessed to have several um, and, and even if, if you know, that, that will say, Kim, I know you feel this now we need you. We want you, your mission. They know the things that are important to me. And so they'll bring those up. And, you know, with DID, I'll forget that I'm even a mom. I'll forget that I just rode my bike for, you know, 50 miles or, you know, because you're back there. And although our history would say it doesn't last forever. It feels like it will. And so if you, if you can navigate and be telling yourself, you know, I'm going to get through this um, and then bring in the troops. I, I have my people, I'll SOS text them. Sometimes all I need is a little text and sometimes they come on over, you know, just to help. But um, it's remembering truth. It takes such intention to, pierce that darkness with the light and it is here it's present and um and then also 
sometimes if I'm having a flashback or something, it's because I need to see it. And so it just takes a lot of courage to see what is pressing into that space because our our reactions to trauma is to avoid pain. We want to go, we want to run, we want to flee. But sometimes the way out is through so much, but it's true. And so if sometimes I find my way out by just stopping and saying, okay, show me, show me what you have. Tell me what you need to tell me. And then that pressure is relieved and it, they're able to rest. And of course I'm heartbroken. It's hard. It's sad, but that, that pressure is kind of relieved. So it's, it's mixed. Like there are a number of things. I have my Christian music that I constantly have on that drives my kids crazy, but I do what I have to do, you know, to pull out, you have to want it, which is really hard to do. And, and if you don't want it, you need to have some people around that want it for you until you can want it, you know, that will rally and again, speak truth and love. And Bruce Berry talks about, you know, people being the agents of, of change and, and healing um, it's people that broke us to use that word. It's people that it caused this harm and deep ache that is soul deep, but it's people that, that are the ones that heal that. It's like, how can the same, you know, thing people cause the destruction and heal the destruction. It, it just doesn't seem like it would take both, but it does. And, and if you don't have your people that are safe, find someone online or, you know, some kind of advocate, a source like to write love on her arms. I love them. They constantly have, please stay tomorrow. Need you, you know, no one can write your story. No one can play your part. Um, it, it takes intention. It takes intention. And so you have to look for those supports and, and it's hard and it's sad sometimes to choose to stay and keep going. But then you get to have moments like this where I get to be a voice of hope, hope, you know, um, and, and saying like, I get it. And I didn't live your story, but I lived my version of that. I understand brokenness. I have deep wounds and scars, but there's something beautiful to stay for. So I don't know. As long as you forget that's out there in the suffering, but it is. And and it's powerful to have that voice when you had no voice. And and the taking the people in the rituals, pushing us to isolation. And then God using people to pull us out of that isolation to bring us to this space where we are. It's, it's beautiful how God does that. I see is, is a restoration that he does. And we can't, we can't heal on our own. We, oh man, I've tried. And, and not because I want to be alone, but because I don't want to be a burden. Right. I don't, I don't want to burn people out. You know, I don't want to be abandoned again all of those things. And, and it is dark, the things that come out of my mouth. And I, I have felt for years that I will hurt their souls if they associate with me because I'm that bad. And, 
but they make a choice to come in and they know what it is. And that companionship, it dispels the lies. It, it dispels the hold. Um, again, the lies and, uh, you know, Satan, he masquerades and he covers things and he makes you believe. I have a story I've written of, it's called the box, but, um, where it, it looks like he's taken everything, including me, you know, but there's at the end of the story, there's this small white box that remains and he can't touch it. He can't get into it. And the truth is, you know, that there's something in us that can't be touched. It can't be changed. It can't be marred. He can make us think that it is. He can do everything he can. He can scream and hurt and all those things, but there's this beauty in us. He can't touch. And, and so, you know, when, when we start to remember that, that that is always true. He cannot change truth. And God is a being of truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And so if we hold on to that and let that fight and disperse that darkness and those lies, and it takes time and it, you have to do it over and over again. <laughs> over, I'm like, I thought we did this, but nope, we have to do it again. <laughs> so it's not a one and done thing, but it, it can become our habit. It be, can become what, where we turn to first. Um, and whether we align with it or not, truth is truth. You know, God in us is greater than anything that can ever happen to us. Um, but it, it's a long journey. It's hard. How can the arts help us to heal? Oh, my goodness. As you know, when we're recalling trauma or, you know, it's like for me, like if I remember something, it, it might be a moment at a time. And just saying the words is not really, um, it, it's so vacant. It's, it's hollow in a lot of ways of saying this happened. I'm like, but you don't understand. It, it like literally ripped my soul out and like obliterated it and like threw it to the, you know, onto the sea and I no longer have. And so you know, with arts, with, um, and I do, I, I feel like everyone has multiple ways of expressing themselves. Um, I, I'm an artist. I, I also write, but there's dance there. There are different ways to express, you know, like the impact of trauma, but there's also in the same space, we can bring in that light and hope. And I say do both, you know, I, I, I don't think we should just be happy and like be painting sunshine all the time. I've done both. I'll usually do if, if I need to express a dark part of my story, like my pattern is to follow that up with some redemptive piece where, you know, and that's intentional. I don't want to leave it there. I want to make sure that I've brought Christ into that, that story as much as I can. But, you know, sometimes it is just sad. And um, so I highly recommend expressing yourself in whatever way you, you can um, to tell your story, but also to incorporate that, the healing. Um, and there are different 
templates out there, you know, different people who, who work with art or writing or things like that, that you can access and you can just go freestyle too. You know, I, I, I don't follow a lot of direction ever in my life. And so <laughs> I'm all about freestyle, do whatever you feel. So yeah, it's, we need, we need to express it. We need to tell our story. And, and sometimes that's again, experience. Sometimes it's just the impact. Like I need someone to see how deep this went. And then again, how, how, how deep the healing light can reach, you know, it, it's all of it. Right. You talked to me earlier that, that we can never remember everything that happened to us. You said that, you know, when they come to us in just a couple second increments of flashes, can you talk a little more about that? How does, how did that work for you? Do you need to, does somebody need to make a whole memory? Do we need to try to look at everything that was going on in a ritual around us? How much information do we need? I think we need as much information as we need. Um, Especially in the beginning, we were just naive. It, It was a bad plan. We tried to get memory after memory after memory. We'd spend hours and hours and hours recalling memory and writing it down and giving it to, you know, law enforcement. And, and I realized that was really bad for me. It put me in perpetual crisis. Um, and at the same time, it was demanding my attention. So it's a hard, hard thing um, for me, especially with the DID, where, where I am now and where I've been, I think, for the last few years has been, you know, if I have a part of me that's carrying a burden or carrying something they need me to know so they can release it so they can have rest, I receive it. And sometimes it isn't an entire memory. Sometimes it's just a moment or 30 minutes of something because they hold this piece. So now my intention is to see and receive with support, if possible, um, something that will relieve these parts of me, of the burden that they've carried for 50 years, you know, and, and so, and, you know, some, especially in the beginning, I think it was, although destructive, I also needed to know because I needed to get out. I needed to know kind of the depth of what was happening, the extent of it. So I could get out because while I'm dissociating and my parts are holding everything, I was still going back and being abused every day. So I I didn't know I needed to leave and change my name and, you know, disappear off the, off the planet to my abusers. So um, it's awful and hard and scary and dangerous, I think at times to remember. So it has to be done carefully. I think, was it Bessel van der Kolk? I can't remember if it was him, but someone's, they stress to not recall memory and, until you're in a place of stability, you know, general stability. And I'm like, good luck, <laughs> you know, with, with us, because that that's fleeting at times. It, it does make sense though. If someone is very raw, unsafe, that is not a good time to pull memory. It's not a good time. Um, 
you know, it's helping them get their nervous system regulated and, and know that they're safe and, and have supportive parts that come up who can help cushion this to receive that information. You know, so there are better times than others, but yeah, especially with the abuse that went on for 21 years, if I were to recall every memory, I would spend the rest of my life doing that. So my deal with God, because I tell him how it's going to be all the time, is <laughs> now I'm like, just help me know if I have to remember something, please help it not be a repeat of this other, you know, unless I have a part that needs to be relieved to be healed or if it can be helpful, you know, to an investigation or, you know, it, or if it, if I just need to be free from that burden, I don't know I'm carrying, you know, this weight of guilt or there are things that are still in there that are so deep that I don't know. So I can't address, I can't bring the light to it because I don't know it's there. So um, I, I feel like we need to be wise and slow and careful with a lot of support, a lot of time and heal as you go. Like, I'm an athlete. Um, I cycle with these guys. They're major intense, but I'm also an Ironman at 70.3. And you don't get to Ironman, you know, day one. It's like you progressively gain your strength. You, I didn't run so much, but you know, you, you build and then you kind of heal those muscles a little bit. Then you build and heal. And a lot of us don't think we have time to heal because it just comes like, you know, it's so intense. It, it feels like it never stops. But if you take moments when you can and heal and, and just breathe or I'm terrible at breathing. So I know I'm saying that to people who probably don't really breathe much, but, you know, eat chocolate. I don't know. Whatever helps you stabilize. Um, just being mindful. It is so hard when it's assaulting you. It, it's something you can't necessarily control, but I always say control what you can. And yeah, it's, I don't think it, at least in my case, I can't ever remember everything. I don't need to. And it's not the episodes of trauma per se that are what's traumatic at this point. It's the impact of those events. And so it's the shame. It's these things that I need to heal. Um, and I also, I think that also might be Vessel van der Kolk, but he quotes a lot of people. So Vessel van der, van der Kolk at all. Um, you know, it's, it's the impact. Yes, we need to know what happened, but that can be over there. It's like, what did it do to me? What did it do to my parts? How did it create these parts? You know, what, what, how do I need to minister to my little ones inside? What's the impact? And so I think that's what we need to tend to as much as we can, more than detail. And again, not saying detail is not important. I'm just saying the impact is what is remaining is what's important to work with. Right. And remembering that it's a marathon and not a dash. It's not, not a sprint. I mean, we I all know. start, it's like, I'm going to get through this faster than anybody has ever gone through it before. And it just... You know, and, and two, when you have those points of peace, be willing just to stay there and enjoy them for a while. That, I know. Yeah. You know what? That That is a good point. Um, and I've worked with some of my um, human trafficking survivors. You know, if you've been traumatized, your nervous system, your baseline is way up here. 
So anytime that life isn't right here, you feel like something's wrong. At least I do. I'm like, right. I, I'm not anxious. Something, there is no crisis like coming at me. What do I do? It's uncomfortable. And sometimes I think I've created chaos just because I am a little more comfortable in that space, but we can learn to tolerate it and welcome it and hold it. And, but yeah, it's important to recognize even when you're uncomfortable at peace, right? And then we've got to figure that out so we can have peace and, and be safe. Yeah. And we can be, it's, it's just like, I know for me, when I was growing up, I I wasn't happy very often, but if I was excited about something and my abuser would say, I know you're happy now, but I just want you to know that this is going to bottom out and you're going to be worse than you were before. And so you learn not to be happy. Kind of impending doom. It is, you know, and and, yeah. So learning that it's okay to have that. It's okay to explore that. It's okay to explore peace. You know, like that moment of, your dog's running the fence with a neighbor's dog. It's like, I am in this moment and this is nice. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be any major fireworks or a lottery win or anything like that. Just those small things are where I find those moments. Well, I feel like because our, our trauma is so huge, we feel like maybe healing and peace should also be huge, but it isn't. It's in the fabric of our daily life. And of course it can be big, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really complicated to try to heal. It's really complicated. I mean, it's possible worth it. And we have to just be persistent and mindful and, and still I'm like, I just want to fall into someone's arms and um, take it away. And, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, just remembering too, that we are so powerful and we are dynamic. We are smart. We are capable and we don't always want to be, but we are, and we, we can do this. And then, you know, like for me, you know, I broke the chain of abuse. So my kids, they don't have this trauma. They have secondary trauma from me and, you know, not understanding all my impact, but, you know, there, there is a discord inside. I think that chain breakers, they just might not always get to like that peaceful state, but knowing that we, we stopped this, it stopped here. We do pay a price for that, but then our children or, or the people we help love and serve won't ever have to go through that. This pain and suffering, at least for me, it has meaning, you know, it has a greater calling and changing something, changing history is not a small bit of work. And we don't have a guide. We're creating the guide. I'm constantly like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the healthy thing is. I never had that modeled. So you do your best and then your, your kids, they just don't have these wounds. So in the struggle that remains, I feel like there is, again, for me, a greater calling and meaning in, again, breaking chains, impacting suffering for others, 
naming evil evil name naming good and light good um you know it's it's sacred and it's hard and you're creating a nonprofit. can you tell me about that yeah um we are it's called the healing center for complex trauma and so we're specifically we'll be serving complex trauma survivors and so that would be human trafficking, torture, SRA, you know, however that CPTSD shows up. And um, right now we're just in the education support. We create webinars because we have to raise a lot of money. Uh, we'll start with an outpatient clinic that is just geared to CPTSD with um, services such as you know, art therapy and dance and movement and occupational therapy. And of course, case managing and all, all of the life skills that need to be learned. Cause you know, we, we came through this, at least I did with a deficit, um, not empowered, not with life skills that would have been fantastic to have, you know? Um, and then we'll have a residential piece added to that over time where, you know, at least for me, there have been periods of time where I couldn't really be home with my kids because my flashbacks were so bad, but being impatient was also not the best, you know, so that space where you need a little extra support, but not necessarily hospital. And then we'll, we'll, we will incorporate uh, more of an acute setting where they do have inpatient abilities, you know, if they are suicidal or self-harm or, you know, they're endangering um, a danger to themselves or others. And they just need that, that really tight, um, support system around. So that is the big picture. Um, we'll, we'll be starting with the outpatient and, um, I'm excited and, and, you know, until we can do that, we can do this, but it, it takes money. It takes time. And I'm not good with either of those things, but <laughs> right. So if somebody wants to give, where can they go to contribute? It's called the healing center for complex trauma.org. So just one word. Okay. Wonderful. As we close, what would you like to say to society? To society, uh, meaning at large or victors or society at large. Yeah, let's go with society. I like that. Um, just because you've never seen it or you don't have an orientation toward it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And one of the worst things you can do to a survivor or a victor is, is to discredit them and, and tell them that what they are telling you or what they've experienced is not real. Um, that is, you know, there've been so many entities that have tried to um, discredit survivors rather than support them. Um, I worked with a friend at the attorney general's office here in Utah who, and he said this about human trafficking, but it, it does apply here as well. He said the more unbelievable a story is, the more believable it should be because why would anyone make that up? Why would anyone? And, um, if you can't See it if you don't acknowledge it you can't affect it you can't change it and as long as people are saying that doesn't exist it isn't real then the resources are not going to be there to fight it they're not going to be there to shut it down 
And then, and so that's the actual trauma, but then for a survivor, when you're looking at behavior and you're judging, or you're seeing something that is not pleasant or admirable, you know, I I say step back and just consider for a second, had you gone through any amount of their experience, would you be acting or, or, you know, living differently? You know, it's, it's quite likely that, um, it would have taken you out. And so we're, we're constantly enacting, interacting with noble, brilliant, beloved beings that went through something horrific that we can't imagine. And, and, and so instead of judging, we should look at them and, and you regard them with in awe. And, and it's, what can I do? How can I support you rather than why don't you, you know? And so, Father G, Father Gray Boyle, I just love him so much. He, he talks about going to the margins, you know, to the easily despised for the demonized with them. And, and as we, as we merge, as we come together as the body of Christ, as his beloved children, all equally beloved, then the margins start to blur and we see ourselves in each other. And, you know, we have mirror neurons, we, we mimic, we, we see ourselves in each other. And, you know, as we, as we enter someone's darkness with our light, they start remembering their light. And, and we, we, it's just, it, we can't survive and thrive and heal as, as victors or survivors without the impact of others. We just can't. And so, I, I love how, again, Father G, you know, he says he'll never be more noble or brave than the people he works with. He doesn't see himself as a step above. He sees himself, you know, on this equal plane. And, and I would say that my friends probably do that as well. There are times I need them to be up here because I am like reaching, like I need help, but we're, we're equals, we're friends, we're um, and, and so the more we can do that, the more we can see people as, um, as our, as kin, you know, we're, we're friends, we're, we coexist, we, we all have this common goal of, of living and loving and, you know, thriving, then um, those barriers come down and there's just more healing. So, um, so much, but Again, believe, believe it's happening. If you don't see it, if you don't name it, you can't impact it. Believe the survivor, see them as just, again, glorious, beloved beings, and then just join them in their story as much as you can. That's great. Would you like to also speak to to victors? I'm trying to change that. Oh, yes. Um, this is something I've come to know through just pain and suffering and really wrestling with it. There was a time like most of my life that I fully believed that they got to my soul, that they darkened every part of me. And I really was genuinely afraid that if anyone got to know me that, well, for one, I'd be thrown away. I would be discarded, but that I would literally hurt them, not physically, but just the essence of me would hurt the essence of them. And 
again with that that box and I, I condensed that by so many minutes but there's a truth in us that cannot ever be changed no matter what happens no matter what happens and it the when we I guess become curious about it we can entertain the thought that that light is in us then then it can start to reveal itself to us. It's always there. It's never gone, but maybe we're not seeing it and we're, we're letting or not letting, we're, we're just seeing it through the, the guise of trauma and darkness. Um, and, and then for me, this was my process. I wanted it to be true. I wanted it so bad to be true. So I started thinking about it and then I, I started acting as if it were true and then I'm living in that truth. And so it's, it's progressive. Um, and it's one of my friends, she, cause I kept saying, I am bad. I'm the, this. And she just stopped me. And she said, every time you say the words, I am, that is the name of God. And that is the name of God in you. And, you know, it's, honor that. And I can't say I am without thinking I am, you know, this being, you know, connected to God and Jesus Christ who has, has them in me. So I'll start on this negative thing and I'll pull it back. It's like, I'm light. I'm capable. I am loving, you know, and it's, it sounds a lot easier than it is. I'm not saying it's a wrestle. I wrestle hard with God all the time. It's knocked down, drag, drag out all the time. So I'm not saying it's easy, but it's worth it um, to take back your power, to remember who you are, to live in that power and strength. And um, just one more, I know I go on and on, but if you've ever seen Labyrinth, and I know it's a little dark, but Sarah is at one point, she just says, you have no power over me and everything shatters this world she's in and she comes back. And I don't know. I think of that. It's like, you have no power over me and just let that darkness fall away and, and hold on to the light. Let it, let it capture, you know, hold you and heal you. Wonderful. This has been delightful. You are so strong. You are so wise and you say things in a way that you can grasp and hold on to and look at, which I greatly appreciate. Thank you for joining us today. It's been such an honor. I'm, you know, a lot of times when I present or speak about trauma, you can't really bring in the, the Christian themes or I, I don't always censor because it's just who I am, but you know, you have to use the right language for the right audience. So it, it is a joy to be able to talk about the hope that I know, you know, that is in Christ and to declare that boldly because I've, I have earned that voice. I've fought hard for it and it, I'm so grateful to be able to share that. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. And again, if somebody wants to give to your charity, the Healing Center for Complex Trauma.org. Yes. And um, how else can they find you if they want to connect? Um, I, my website. Let's do Kimberly.co. Wait, 
kimberly.hcct at gmail.com. That's my email. And I'm also on Facebook, Kimberly Cohen, and it's Kimberly with an I. I have a, a, a website that's an unexpectedlight.com, but it's we're working on updating it. But that ultimately will be a good place to find me, an unexpectedlight.com. And then there are some of my pieces of art at herobands.com. And that's another survivor who's just a gloriously strong, beautiful soul. And so I, there are a few of my pieces of my journey um, of that light being remembered um, that are there. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure.